Hi, I'm Kenny Loggins, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and today joining me in the zoom room i am pleased to welcome Grammy Award-winning, Academy Award-nominated singer, songwriter, Mr. Kenny Loggins. Hello, Kenny. How are you doing? All right. Really good. How are you doing? I'm great. You are in Santa Barbara? Um, yes, I am. Excellent. How long have you been uh, in California, Kenny? Uh, well, I'm, <clears throat> I moved to L.A. with my folks, obviously, when I was seven. Wow. From Seattle. And then, um, so... You can say from that time on, but I moved to Santa Barbara in 73. It's beautiful up there. Do you, you must love it up there because you've been there okay. a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, once you have wives and babies, you're pretty much stuck there, wherever it is. It's a good place to be stuck. Right. And then if you need to uh, record or do anything in Los Angeles, it's you can be here quickly. Yeah. It's an hour and a half away. Yep. And a great and a nice drive. So there you have it. All right. So I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. And I was told you would come on when you had something to promote. And now you have a couple of things to promote. The first thing I want to ask you about is you have a brand new single called The Great Adventure. Tell the listeners what that single is about and what it's going to help. Well, um, primarily, uh, it's a, a, a collaboration with the San Diego Zoo. And they have a program where they, they call it Zoo TV, where they have the care and feeding of animals um, as part of this uh, closed circuit television station for children's hospitals. And it's also sent to the Ronald McDonald houses all around the world. And uh, when I was talking to them about a children's book that I wrote called Footloose, the children's version of with that same title. Um, and we were talking about maybe trying to get the, the Footloose book in their zoo stores because it's a, a, a story that takes place in a zoo. Um, as we were kicking that around, they said, well, we've got this TV channel we do. And I said, you know, maybe you could use a theme song for your channel, you know, like yes. an ID theme. And, and then I, they loved the idea. I went and contacted um, Josh Bartholomew and Lisa Harrington, who wrote uh, Everything is Awesome for the first Lego movie. Oh Mom, yeah. Fantastic. That. And I thought these are great writers. And uh, so before COVID happened, I went and sat with them and we wrote this song called Great Adventure. In the wild, there's a rhythm makes you dance like a child, like a child in the air. There's some magic that can take you anywhere, anywhere. But you gotta be brave like a lion, strong like a tiger. Leave the fear far behind. Take your hand and I'll give you mine. Soar like an eagle up where the future is waiting. Are you ready for a great adventure? And initially it was considered just a song for the TV station. And then the song came out so good that everybody went, you got to release it. You got to make it a thing. So that's why after all these years, I suddenly have a single out there. Like, <laughs> like there's still radio and, 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 uh, and somebody's going to play a Kenny Loggins single, but you never know. I mean, miracles happen. So it's out there. So it's out there on uh, on all digital formats. Uh, that's where I think I got it on iTunes. So everyone go buy The Great Adventure and see uh, what Kenny Loggins is up to right now. 
Kenny, then you also have, and this is really cool, Record Store Day exclusive vinyl, Kenny Loggins at the movies. Now, this seems like this release is long overdue. Like, yeah, I, 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 cares, yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought about this like all my life. I'm like, why aren't all the soundtrack songs just on one album together? And that's what we're going to get right now. And it's going to be on vinyl exclusively. Vinyl exclusively for Record Store Day. It was a publicist's idea to make it go that way. And I think it's a great one. Um, you know, you don't know, as Joni said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Right. And uh, I think those of us who are at a certain age really appreciate the fact that we had an era where we got to walk into a record store and hold an album and read liner notes and immerse ourselves in that act in a way that it just doesn't seem to be uh, the nature of things now for right. music. Well, I have a 16-year-old and she is now into vinyl. So I believe that it's it's coming back, you know, in a big way. Oh, it is. Every, every year it sells like twice as many as the year before. It's been vinyl. Back. I don't know if we got enough dinosaurs to cover all that. But, right, right. But it might, you know, it is, it is a great format for music. And I think, I remember when CDs first came in and everybody said, people aren't going to want to hold those little things. Right. And I think in the long run, it turned out to be true. I think it's just tactically, uh, sensorily more fun to have a large LP. And so even though you have to go and turn it from side one to side two, I guess there's a certain level of nostalgia that makes that more pleasant than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more uh, it's more interactive, I guess, more is I don't know if immersive is the word, but I mean, yeah, you feel like you're you're involved more when you're playing a vinyl record. That's for sure. Yeah. When you um get out of your chair, you got to get out of your chair, get your steps in. Yeah. Um, when you look at the list of these nine songs on this album, it's quite an achievement. In the press release, it says uh, they call you the soundtrack king. Um, did you have to agree to that title, or is <laughs> it just started happening? And I yeah. think I think the publicist grabbed grabbed a hold of it. Um, it wasn't something I came up with one night, you know, right? Drunken you know, fury, like, no, you know, cause to me, I think, uh, Celine Dion probably had a lot of hits, but she didn't write them. So I guess, I guess the catch 22 is that I wrote them and, and then recorded them. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's a, it's an impressive list. You were even nominated, uh, for an Academy award for best original song with the song footloose, you and Dean Pitchford. I was checking this out today. The competition that year was tough. Yeah. We've got, I just called to say, I love you by Stevie wonder against all odds by Phil Collins footloose. Uh, let's hear it from the boy also from footloose written by Dean Pitchford and Tom snow. And then we got the theme from ghostbusters by Ray Parker jr. I mean, I don't even know who I would vote for. I love you, but I love all these songs. I mean, that's tough. And of course, Stevie won. Of course. If, you, if you're going to lose, I guess it's okay to lose to Stevie Wonder. I, I remember one year uh, of the Grammys when Paul Simon swept it, and his thank you speech was, I'd like to thank Stevie Wonder for not recording a record this year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. When you get accolades like this, how does that make you feel as an artist? Well, it's it, it, it feels good, obviously. It's like it's fulfilling that your work is being noticed. And, and certainly the thing people always say, like the Grammys, that you're being noticed by your peers, by the people in the record business, that holds a little more oomph to it because, you know, when I was learning to play guitar in high school, 
the guys I hung around with, you know, when we had our field day or days where we could bring our guitars to school were the musicians. And so that, I've grown up with musicians all my life. And um, so it's great to get that kind of level of recognition. Um, and it's, um, it's, held this, it's held my career a really long time. You know, when I first started, the first business manager I had said, we expect our acts to go for three or four years. So wow. you're going to have three or four earning years before it starts to fade. Um, so they uh, really had to work hard to take as much money from me as possible in as short a time. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, it's been a long career and, and I'm lucky that, I mean, so often I say I, I get to sing for a living and that's pretty cool. The first album, studio album, 1971, sitting in Loggins and Messina, that's celebrating 50 years in 2021. That's incredible. Yeah, we should do something. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I do want to, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about these soundtrack songs, but you have released 16 studio albums, six with Loggins and Messina, 14 solo, and two with the Blue Sky Riders. That's an incredible career. No, thank you. Yeah, it's, I think some of that must be repackaging. Um, for my notes, it looked like those were all the studio albums. So may, maybe not, but yeah, there are greatest hits. There's live albums. There's all that stuff too. But even if a few of those are repackaged, that's incredible. I mean, even six albums just with Loggins and Messina yeah. in about six years time. Six years, yeah. Is, is quite a run. I mean, the songs, Danny Song, House on Pooh Corner, anyone who has a kid knows that song. I yeah. mean, that spans all generations. Christopher Robin and I walk along under branches lit up by the moon Posing our questions to Owl and Dior as our days disappeared all too soon But I've wandered much further today than I should And I can't seem to find back to the wood so help me if you can i've got to get back to the house at the corner by one you'd be surprised there's so much to be done count all the bees in the hive chase all the clouds from the sky back to the Yeah, I, I got really lucky that I was allowed to write a song about Winnie the Pooh when the Disney Corporation had already owned it. They had a copyright on Winnie the Pooh uh, shared with the Milne estate. And uh, I just lucked into the fact that I, I had a girlfriend who was the daughter of the CEO of the Disney Corporation. That helps. And <laughs> that helped. And yeah. so I, I went to her house with a buddy of mine. We were considering ourselves a duo back in the college days. And he took me there. He was, she was an old friend of his and he took me there and we basically sang half a dozen songs on the living room floor as 17 year olds. Sure. And, and then we explained to him the nitty gritty dirt band was going to record House of Pooh Corner, uh, but the lawyers had stopped it. And I explained to him and he, he said, that's a great song. We, you know, what's going on with that? I said, well, you know, we're not allowed to record it. <laughs> well, let me make some calls and take care of it. So within a couple of days, I had the clearance to record that song. I always think that, that they, he probably didn't expect anything to actually happen with it. But uh, Winnie the Pooh is a powerful character and the song is very nostalgic and it's hung on. It definitely is. And uh, like I said, I mean, my kids knew that song. Everyone knows the song. The animation promotes the song and the song promotes Winnie the Pooh. I mean, it all works together. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I wrote a song. Actually, the the original writers of the the original Winnie the Pooh song for the Disney movie mm -hmm. was um, the Sherman Brothers. Yes, who wrote everything for Disney for about twenty years. Yeah, and uh, all Mary Poppins is their most famous stuff. And when they did the Tigger movie years later, the the woman in charge of the music for that movie named Bambi, Bambi Moe, of course. 
Bambi got me together with the Sherman brothers and rewrote a song called Your Heart Will Lead You Home together. She creating that bridge and making that circle complete. But somehow right before the rise, the summer fades away. Everything is different and everything has changed. If you feel lost and on your own and far from home, you're never alone, you know. Just think of your friends, the ones who care. They all will be waiting there with love to share, and your heart will lead you home. And that was kind of a kick because they were, Bob was in his 80s. I remember we took two days to write the song, and, and I asked him, have you ever thought about retiring? And he said, he looked at me and he goes, you kidding me? How else can I get a rush like this? <laughs> okay. Words to live by. Yeah. I mean, look, well, you're not going to retire, right? I'm going to try not to. Although yeah. I have to say this, this last year has been an interesting sampling of what retirement might look like. Right. Maybe it makes you not want to do it even more. Not want to retire? Uh, like so many things, I'm of two minds there. I love what I do. Right. Uh, but I also liked holding still and not going to airports. Well, yeah, if um, that's the thing. If we could just snap our fingers and Kenny Loggins is on stage, he does a show, we snap our fingers and you're back home, you're all in for the rest of your life. The traveling is what you really get paid for. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, I think so. And, but there's a lot of other stuff too, but well, sure. we did, we did, uh, I did um, maybe a dozen virtual performances during this year. And that's pretty sweet too. I mean, to be able to sit in my living room, right. do a show, get paid, you know, not as, not nearly as much as I would if I showed up at your living room, but you know, uh, still get paid. Yeah. Corporate shows. And, um, it's like, yeah, I kind of, I could get used to that. So I got to say, honestly, I miss, I miss having the feedback of a real audience. That's really part of, part of, I'd say 85% of why I do it is to make that connection and get that rush. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how much, uh, how high the adrenaline level gets when you're in your living room performing for people, you know, on zoom or whatever, but yeah, uh, live and in concert, that's, that's the stuff. That's what yeah. you live for. Absolutely. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's go to, um, I want to talk, I got to talk about We Are the World. I mean, because this, I've never interviewed anyone that was a part of We Are the World. Uh That's an incredible thing. And I think there were 20 solos on the song and you get one of them. When you show up that night, do you guys have any idea what's happening or what's going on or that you're going to get a solo? None at all. All I knew was uh, I was invited to participate and it was going to be a, a benefit thing of some kind. We were all going to sing together. This was after an award show. Was it the American Music Awards or the Grammys? I'm, I'm blanking. One of those. I'm not sure myself. Yeah. But anyway, we all showed up. Springsteen showed up in a beater. Classic <laughs> Springsteen. Yeah. And uh, my, my favorite quote from that night. So you, we, we were there from about 11 p.m. to four in the morning back in the days when I could actually do that. Right. And um, sometime around halfway through Paul Simon, again, today is Paul Simon Day, obviously. <laughs> Paul Simon says, if a bomb drops on this room, John Denver's back on top. <laughs> that was my favorite line of the night. That's fun. But um, 
you know, Quincy, uh, Michael was there, Michael Jackson, of course, sure. but not, not in the, his outfit that he would be in in the video. Right. And, uh, and it was really a, a, a rush to be, you know, I admired Stevie Wonder from the very beginning. And to be in a lineup of the seven artists, one of which is Stevie Wonder and Springsteen and, you know, cats that are, you know, in the upper echelon, to say the least, and that was uh, that was an honor to be a part of that. Well, it's and I mean, considering all the people that are there, most of the people you could just name their say their first name and people would know who they were. Tina, Bruce, Dion, you know, it's uh, it's just incredible. Bet, Stevie, Willie. And um, so you show up and they tell you that you're going to get one of the solos. Are you uh, are you nervous around all your peers, or is it just uh, are you guys just having so much fun? It's funny. I don't remember being nervous. I think by the time we got to the solo lines, we did the solo lines last. We did the choral group first. Okay. And then by the time we got to the solo lines, I think I was just so in it that that I didn't get nervous. Other than the fact that I really wanted to represent myself well. Like, uh, you know, you're the guy, the, the guys, I'm following Daryl Hall, who I also consider to be one of the best of that era. Right. And, uh, and so I want to be able to show up and do my thing as well as I can. And when I finished my line, Stevie goes, yeah, man, he's like that. And for me, that was <laughs> like, you know, I got an A plus. <laughs> it's like he got what I was, what I was trying to do. Yeah. I watched it today. I watched the video on YouTube and it's literally uh, your your line, your solo, it's six seconds long. And actually the order is, it's Bruce and then you and then Steve Perry and then Daryl Hall. And it's mm-hmm. it's quite a run. And it's amazing that in six seconds, we can get like a lot of Kenny Loggins in just six seconds. It's pretty yeah. cool. We are the world. We are the children. Each of the artists really showed up uniquely their way. I heard uh, when I was watching Daryl work his part out, I could tell he was measuring how much of his trademark stuff he wanted to put in that line. And one of the things I get a kick out of is I watched a video recently of Cindy Lauper doing her line, which is yes, yes. about unique personality. And she's kind of struggling with the line and she's getting coached. If you look closely, she's being coached by Steve Perry sitting mm-hmm. on the riser behind her. Yeah, it's-, it's kind of funny to, so just to see those two personalities, actually. And Steve, is I could tell, is getting frustrated because he keeps struggling with this line that should be easy, but yeah, she's just sort of free-forming. Anyway, it's just, it was fun to watch. She really stands out, though, because her vocal style is so unique and so her own. Not that, not that everyone else doesn't have a unique thing, but, but there's, just, there's just something about she just really blasts through yeah, uh, in her I, little part. Were, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty cool. Uh, let me see Something if I like a car horn. It's like a car horn, but in a good way, but not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. All right, let's get into some of these uh, soundtrack songs. Side A of at the movies, the vinyl. It kicks off with "I'm All Right" from Caddyshack. This goes to number seven on the charts. I'm all right. Nobody but about me. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? When you do a song like I'm All Right, do you see the movie first? Do you know how it's going to be used? 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, well, Caddyshack, I went in for a, for a director screening. Just me and a, a room of about 30 seats in a sort of screening room. And um, I didn't really know what I was up for because I got a call from my guy at Columbia Records saying, you know, just stop at John Peter's studio on the way home. I was living in Santa Barbara at the time. Stop at John Peter's studio. They want to show you something. And that's really all I had. Wow. So I walk in and sight unseen, the movie knocked me down. It was just hilarious. Everything about it was, I was just quoting a line from it last night um, to a friend. Uh, Will you look for my stretch marks? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there are so many crazy lines in that. Yeah, the, it's endlessly quotable, that film. And it is, they don't, I mean, back then they did, you know, it was Animal House and Caddyshack and, and Stripes and they, it, those movies were were this thing that was happening, and uh, it was Lampoon, National Lampoon. Yeah, that's right, and you get to be uh, you get to be part of that with a song. Uh, you know, you didn't think a a, a gopher a a pup a gopher puppet was going to be dancing to one of your songs. <laughs> yeah, uh, John told me he said this part here. He's pointing at the movie. This part here, John Peters. This we're going to have a a gopher puppet dancing. <laughs> And I was like, well, that's kind of a stupid idea. <laughs> Is that actually going to work? Yeah, you know, now it's iconic. Yeah, and now and it does work. And um, and that song is just amazing. And uh, and yeah, you must have been. You know, you see this film, like you said, sight unseen. Yeah, it's just hysterical. I, so. I wanted to write. I wanted to write all the music for the movie. I actually forced three songs into that movie. Yes, there. Are, yeah, you do have more than just the one. But it's a. Uh, I'm all right. Is just a killer, and it's so. That song is so joyful. As soon as you hear it, it just, uh, and it's yeah. like a lot of your music. You just, you just want to get up. You just want to dance. You want to sing. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. And I think it, part of the power is it's so deeply associated with the emotions that the movie created, that the song and the movie become one thing. And most people, most people, when they hear the song, they're going to think of the gopher or they're going to think of some element of Caddyshack. Right. And it was also, I think, one of Bill Murray's quintessential moments, at least in that comedic character. Absolutely. And, um, but, you know, one of the things I was talking to an interviewer the other day and I said, the reason why movie music doesn't carry the same impact as it carried back then was, first off, it was a new idea to put rock and roll in movies. was yeah. hadn't really quite been done yet. But I think that Back then, we were writing songs specifically for scenes in movies. So Footloose was written for that scene. You know, uh, that in Caddyshack, the same thing. Caddyshack was written for the opening scene where Danny's riding his bicycle through this suburban housing development. Right. And what caught my attention was in the director's version, when they dub in their own music uh, before they get the original music written. Right. His temp song there was a Bob Dylan song, Serve Somebody. Huh. And I thought, this is really strange. They're showing me, uh, the first thing that hit me was, I'm, I'm looking at a housing, suburban housing development and a kid on a bicycle. And he and the director's telling me something by using a Bob Dylan song. And so that struck me that this character was, was either a, a rebel of some kind or was going to become a rebel. And that's where the I'm all right idea came from was gotcha. you know, basically it's, you know, fuck, fuck you, leave me alone. And, and, and so that song struck me that I, I kind of went there with my vocal and kind of put a Dylan-esque kind of edgy thing on the, on the song. So right. have that thing to it. And I, I, that's all, that's one of my, my, what do you call it? Says, uh, alter egos, you know, when I'm at Soundcheck, I'll do a Dylan thing, and it's nice. just for fun of it, or or do House of Pooh Corner in a Dylan voice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I got to use the voice on that song, and it was really fun. So, by putting this temp music in, they're not telling you what to write, but it kind of it did influence you this time. Yeah, it's 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 a clue. It's the yeah. director trying to tell me what he's he or she is envisioning, mm -hmm. and. Um, and so, but the power of the music back then was that my point is it was being written for those movies, yes, for those scenes. And nowadays they just pull somebody's random cut off of a, a young act that they can get for free, yeah, because they don't want to spend any money on it. So music's back to being the bastard stepchild of movies, 
And very rarely, do, and if they do write a song for the movie, they don't show it until the credits. Yeah, it's, it's an end credit. Nothing to do with the movie. Right, an end credit theme. And who, I mean, yeah. No one cares. No one cares. I mean, yeah, I used to love, I have so many original soundtrack albums, you know, not just Caddyshack and Footloose, but like uh, um, one of my favorites is Fast Times at Ridgemont High or the John Hughes movies always had great soundtracks. So it was of the era. And I don't know why that we've stopped doing it either. I wish we would get back to it. Decisions are financial. Well, I guess, yeah, most likely. But when you have a soundtrack track like Footloose, that sells 9 million copies. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> they should see the value in it just, <laughs> just by looking at the template that Footloose set out with. Well, I'm sure there are young directors listening to this podcast going, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be, that would be very cool. So Footloose, this song goes to number one. And as we said earlier, nominated for an Academy award and it's, um, you have a lot of signature songs, but th and this is definitely one of them. I can't imagine you going on stage and not playing Footloose. I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> there was a period of time where Footloose was out of fashion. You know, a couple of years after the movie, when the, all that had simmered down, mm. and other trends come and go, and suddenly nobody would get up to dance on Footloose. Nowadays, I'll play a corporate event, you know, fundraiser for yeah. a cancer benefit, and everybody will be in black tie and long dresses. Right. And get up and dance at Footloose. They won't dance at anything else, but they're embarrassed to not dance at Footloose. Yeah. How can you not? It's the song is dictating that you dance. Get up and dance. <laughs> it says so. Danger, so Zone, Danger Zone works that way too, uh, in a different way. So for Footloose, you guys had the title of the movie, and now you have to construct a song from the title of the movie? Well, uh, um, Dean Pitchford and I wrote right. Footloose, as you mentioned. Yes. Um, but I, I wrote to the screenplay that he gave me a couple nights before. Um, so we were kind of imagining what the scenes will look like. And that's the only time I've had that as an experience of writing, was writing from my imagination for what the scene is described in the, in the screenplay. Yeah. And, uh, and because it was Dean, I was confident that we were doing the right thing. But when Dean and I wrote Footloose, we were writing it for the scene in the middle of the movie where the kids leave town to go dancing. Okay. The four primaries. And we just figured it would be the music they danced to for 15, 20 seconds yeah. in the middle of the movie. And so when I saw, when I showed up at the premiere, the opening scene with the feet tapping and, and it starts right in on Footloose. And Dean and I just started laughing. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is a slam dunk. You know, and then it shows up again at the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, if this movie's a hit, we're in. It's uh it's an iconic opening. You get that song, and yeah, you get the close-up on all the feet moving and doing the stuff, and you're you're immediately hooked. You're all in. You wanna I wanna see the rest of this movie immediately. It's so good. Yeah, it really is. And then uh, another song in the movie, I'm Free, Heaven Help the Man. That goes to number 22. That's not shabby. And that's a great song, too. Thank you. Here we go. Top Gun, another soundtrack that sells 9 million copies. And this soundtrack stays at number one for five weeks. Incredible. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff on that soundtrack. That, that Top Gun was what we call a cattle call. All the top acts in Hollywood were going to screenings to mm -hmm. see rough cuts of Top Gun so that they could get rock acts to yeah. write songs for the movie. 
and um, and I was in a, a screening with maybe six other acts, and I thought, don't bother for, with that opening scene. It, everyone's going to go for the opening scene. When I saw the volleyball scene, I said, nobody's going to write for that. <laughs> I'm going to write a song for that so that I make sure I'm a part of this album. That is smart because I wanted to ask about that. I wanted I wanted to ask if you knew that your song was going to be used in a uh, in the shirtless uh, buff guy volleyball scene, but now you're telling me that you specifically wrote for that so that you could be on this soundtrack. I knew I knew if I came up with something good for that scene, and it was challenging artistically. Yeah, to write something that would score that kind of energy. Um, and uh, I wrote with Peter Wolf, the, the producer, and um, and we it's, we wrote a song called "Playing with the Boys," which, by the way, has if I'm right, you can check the notes. But if I remember right, I have two versions. Yes, right. And the second version I re-recorded, hopefully to get it into the new movie, the new Top Gun, is as a duet because now there are female pilots. Yes. As well as male. And so I did a boy girl duet with a girl from Australia named Butterfly Boucher, who's an amazing rocker. I mean, she's just, she's, she plays all the instruments. She's highly educated. And yet she's kind of a punk in her approach to rock and roll. And, and when you get that vibe on the record, did you record together or was this, uh, did she record in Australia and you recorded here? No, she, she has a place in Nashville. And I went to Nashville and we recorded together and reinvented the song. So currently we don't know if this song will be in Maverick Top Gun 2. That's the weird part. I don't know. I, I actually don't know. And I can't. When I, left, when I left the office, they said, we're not sure that scene is in the movie. Okay. I, um, that was one of my questions. I was wondering if there would be Kenny Loggins music in the new Top Gun sequel because it only makes sense that there is for nostalgia and just to bring everything together. Yeah. I mean, I hope it ends up in there and I haven't heard that version yet because as we said, it's exclusively on the vinyl currently. Yeah. You got to buy a record, put your name in the hat. Yeah. You got to <laughs> do it. And, uh, and you, yeah, you didn't write danger zone. Tom Whitlock and Giorgio Moroder wrote danger zone. But that there is a story there. Okay. Let's hear it. I was a collaborator. Okay. A few days before they were going into the studio, I got a call from his office that he wanted me to come in and sing the song because the people, whoever they'd had lined up, and I talked to Mickey Thomas of the Starship, and he said sure. with Starship, I talked to um, the Toto guys, and, and they said they thought it was going to be Toto. Okay. So there were a lot of lawyers involved. Uh, I got a call that said, can you come in in two days? So I sat with Whitlock and we went over the song. I said, you need more chords. You need a little more melodic variation. Let's write another verse to this thing here.
So I am a collaborator on it, but for political reasons, they put me only on originally as a, a part publisher. Okay. And then, and because there was an a, a Academy Award situation that Giorgio wanted to be a part of. Okay. And if Grant brought in other writers, it would exclude him. I gotcha. So, so I ended up in the final version, I should have, and it should have been on those liner notes. Uh, I hope we didn't blow that was I should be listed as a writer. Well, that's not in my current press release. I was just going by past notes. So oh, good. I'm, I'm, so I'm sure it'll be rectified, but, um, oh, right. but the fact that you wrote playing with the boys and it's on a soundtrack that sells 9 million copies, uh, for lack of a better word, that definitely translates into some mailbox money. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it was, it was what got, I did an end run around disco. Yes. Because disco was all over the radio, but the movies really carried me through that period of 80s. And you were releasing great solo albums in the 80s. I absolutely love High Adventure, but for some reason, these soundtrack songs had like a life of their own. They kind of, maybe they overshadowed some of the albums you were releasing. I don't know if you feel that way. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the huge amount of money being spent to promote those movies and to promote the music. Right. That, that hasn't happened since then. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to talk a little bit about High Adventure, uh, and then we'll get back to the soundtrack stuff. The opening track, Don't Fight It, it's a duet with Steve Perry, and it's got blistering guitar work from Neil Giraldo. Who's Pat Benatar's. Pat Benatar's guitarist and husband. It's written by you and Steve Perry and Dean Pitchford. And um, this is just such a great song. And it's unique in that there's not a lot of duets with two guys singing together. Right. know anyone that doesn't like this song i I just happy to hear that (laughs) i mean it goes to number 17 i just feel like that should have been a number one single it's so fun yeah that's what we were after yeah when i met him on the road steve perry and Mm -hmm. and immediately liked him and of course his voice is like undeniable it's one of the great rock voices of all time right and in the studio with him between takes, he would imitate other artists. He he had this chameleon voice. And he, at one point, I thought Rod Stewart was in the room. He said, I'm exactly like Rod Stewart. That's amazing. And he could do any number of different voices. Um, so it was, for me, it was like a pissing contest to get up there and try just to hold my own in the same. We did our vocals live together in two, two separate microphones. And every time he would sing a line it was like oh shit <laughs> step it up yeah it was fun though well i can tell you 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 held your own perfectly because you guys both sound like you're at the top of your game on that song mm-hmm. so maybe that maybe that was a little bit of the uh the pissing match that brought out the best in both of you it's, that's the ideal yeah like you were talking about where are the world you get in a, a lineup with those singers like that and it's Again, it's a kind of a pissing match. You want to you hold your own, but you also want to be at your best. And that was how I felt with Steve. 
so and Bruce Botnick produced that album, and he was also he also produced Steve's first solo album. Did he did he get you guys together, or was that just a coincidence? Just a coincidence. Um, yeah, no, I. It may have been because of the session we did. I I didn't realize until you just told me that Bruce was pr- produced his first solo album. Yeah, he produced Street Talk. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Um, and then I just want to. To make a note there, he produced a lot of great things. Bruce Botnick produced yes, The Doors. The Doors, absolutely. No and um, and that's what was funny to me when I saw the liner notes from Steve's album and your album, and I saw Bruce Botnick, I didn't immediately fe- think that uh, the pr- a guy who produced The Doors would be working with you and Steve. But man, it works. Yeah, no. Works. That, the, uh, um, we were thinking about percussion instruments, mm-hmm. and I said, you know what would be cool in this one little spot? If, if we could just get a whip out there and go quack and let the crack of the whip be like a snare beat. And he said, I've got just the thing. He worked on the Indiana Jones soundtracks. Yes. He went into the vault and pulled out the, the recording of Indiana Jones's whip. And so that, that big crack that happens before the first chorus is not an S and M reference. It's, it's a, a bow to Indiana Jones in that moment in time. And that goes right along with the uh, with the album cover and the high adventure type theme. Uh, there's another dot I hadn't connected. Yeah, so perfect. So we got Neil Giraldo, Steve Perry, Indiana Jones, and Kenny Loggins and Bruce Botnick all creating magic on this one song. Huh. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to a song that I can't believe, I don't even know if it was released as a single, but Swear Your Love is huh. phenomenal. It's, oh, well, just, it's just so good. Now that that was one of those seriously overlooked songs, but to me, "Swear Your Love" was kind of a, a throwback to the Hollies. Um, ah, okay. If you, if you think about that chorus, that, that's why it had those real high high harmonies. You know, uh, was kind of a English invasion throwback song for me. Just a fun, a fun thing to do. I wish look in, in, in looking back at some of those things, I wish that I'd brought in co-producers who had experience in, in those eras, especially when I started to dive into more R and B material. Yeah. Because I really should have brought in um, an R and B producer who sonically knew how to get what I was after. And especially like when I, when I covered um, Mike McDonald and I wrote a song together called I got to try. And it was very much of a like a four tops or a temps kind of groove. I wish that I would have brought in a producer who had the right Rolodex for that. For those of you who don't know what a Rolodex is. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's like the contacts in your phone, but it sits on your desk. You're right. Analog. Uh, analog. 
when you and Michael McDonald would write songs together, you guys wrote What a Fool Believes. You won a Grammy for that when it was recorded by the Doobie Brothers. But mm. you recorded it, and then he recorded it with the Doobies. When you guys would write together, did you know that in advance? Like, it wasn't just for you, it, or it wasn't just for Michael. You would both have a crack at it. Never come Yeah, we we agreed early on that whoever got there first got to have it. Right, but sometimes someone would get there first and then the other guy would still record it like with a song like No Looking Back. Yeah. No looking back now. Now you're digging into the, the gray matter. Well, I love both of your versions, but they're very different. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that that for me was I wanted to have it more of that footloosey kind of pop um, groove, right? And um, and I don't remember where Mike went with it. I don't remember that his version on that, but. I got a call from Teddy Templeman who produced the doobies after he heard my version of, of uh, what a fool police. And he wanted to call and compliment me for doing something dramatically different yeah. from what Mike had done. What, and I also have to say that I learned from that recording that when you write with Michael, you use Michael on the piano. Nobody plays that groove, that left hand, right hand thing like he does. Right. My version went further astray than I wanted it to because my piano guy did not play at all like like Michael. I mean, yeah, I mean he's undeniable. So yeah, when you have the best in the room, how do you not use the best? Yeah, only if you're an idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, let's talk about a couple more soundtrack songs. These next two are from movies that aren't great movies, but these songs are fantastic. We have Meet Me Halfway from the movie Over the Top, which I believe is probably the only arm wrestling movie ever made. I think uh, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> uh, again, this is written by Tom Whitlock and Giorgio Moroder. In a Did you have a hand in any of the songwriting on Meet Me Halfway? No, I didn't. No, by that point, I had a, a decent uh, relationship with Giorgio. Yeah. And so he called me and said, I got one for you. 
And the, the funny thing, I'll just a little funny aside, I was touring with Craig Shoemaker many years ago, the uh, comedian. Comedian, sure. The love master. There you go. Yeah. And, and he came up, he said, you know you're in trouble when the song has more words in it than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's why he's the comedian. Yeah. Uh, but you nail it. That's uh, that's a, a great vocal performance and a lot of great people on that soundtrack. Sammy Hagar, Eddie Money, Robin Zander. So uh, that's a strong soundtrack for a movie that's not as strong. Yeah. And then Caddyshack 2, they got to have a Kenny Loggins song again. But speaking of not as strong. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It's, uh, it's rough. Self-immolated. It, I mean, no Rodney, no Bill Murray. It's... It's a cameo by Chevy, kind of. But the song, Nobody's Fool, is excellent. And it goes to number eight. Yeah, go figure. That's, uh, well, it's because it's a great song. It's so much fun. Back to the shack. Yeah, and, and it definitely wasn't writing on the success of the movie. No, no, that song stands on its own. And uh, who's Michael Towers? He's the co-writer on that. I don't know. Uh, songwriter from at the time. I think he was living in Nashville. I think he moved back to L.A. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. A couple other things I wanted to touch on on your uh, first album, the song "Celebrate Me Home." Did you set out to write a Christmas song? No. No, I was, I was recording at A&R Studios in New York with Phil Ramone and I was showing him what I had to work on and I had not written the lyrics of Celebrate Me Home. Phil changed it from a 4-4 to a 6-8 to okay. what people might call 3-4, but it's really a 6-8, which is a major change for a producer to do. You know, I like your song, but it should be a waltz. And... <laughs> Is a gospel six eight, and then and then when I showed him, please celebrate me home. I said, I know this is like my work lyrics. I know this doesn't mean anything, but, and he went, no man. He said, that's that's great. That's how they'd say it on the street. So it was early December, and I was planning on going home for Christmas, but I was homesick. So he said, go up and write the song. So I went upstairs into his into his office, and I wrote the lyrics. And then we recorded it, I guess, the next day. Home for the holidays I believe I've missed each and every face Come on and play one easy Let's turn on every love light in the place it's time I found myself totally surrounded in your circles, oh, oh my friends. Please celebrate me home. Give me a number. Please It's very hard to create a contemporary Christmas song that becomes a classic, but you did it. Cause that's, I mean, I hear that all the time during the holiday season. It makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And uh, another tip of the hat, cause it's, it's such a fantastic song. Yeah. That's, that's another moment I would call grace. You know, David Foster and I used to write together and Foz was always trying to write a Christmas standard because 
he felt that that would be the kind of copyright that lasts forever. Gotcha. Yeah. He wrote, it's, he wrote a Christmas standard of sorts. Yeah. Um, my Christmas, grown up Christmas list. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. And, and so I was trying to beat him to it. And I wrote about four straight up Christmas songs that I think two of them were on my Christmas record called December. Yeah. But they never went anywhere compared to Celebrate Me Home. Celebrate Me Home just because that, that opening line, Home for the Holidays, made yeah, it. So, and I, I was watching a movie the other night and they used Joni Mitchell's uh, song, uh, I Wish I Had a River. Yes. With, it's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. And that, so therefore it's a Christmas song. Therefore it's a Christmas song. Just you put the word Christmas in there and it's a done deal. Yeah. Keep the Fire. You worked with Tom Dowd. Uh, this Is It goes to number 11. You win a Grammy for Pop Male Vocal. That's great. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Michael didn't cover that. No, he didn't. Uh, he does background vocals for you, though. And you guys, the blend there is so nice. Yeah, thank you. Now I'm not so sure You're waiting to hear One good reason to try But what more can I say What's left to I don't want to keep you too long, but I could I could talk to you all day long, but I, I won't. Here's a fun question. You've always seemed to have a kind of a squeaky clean image. Is there a dark side to Kenny Loggins? Is there something we don't know? Do you collect medieval weapons? Do you run a <laughs> you run an illegal poker game in your basement? Is no, there I, I think that um, having that squeaky clean image has forced every time I do a television cameo. They want me to say, fuck you. <laughs> because they think no one's going to expect Kenny Loggins to say, go fuck yourself on TV. And, well, I'm glad and, you said it here. It worked. It worked most advantage uh, with Grace and Frankie uh, in yeah. the season closer or something. And then I did some of those uh, um, funny or die pieces. And those are off the hook. I like that you have a sense of humor about yourself because – that's always nice. I don't like when the an artist takes themselves too seriously. Take the work serious, but uh, but it's refreshing. So, yeah. Kenny, here's where people can find you. Twitter, you're at Kenny Loggins, and your website is KennyLoggins.com. And this album comes out, Record Store Day release, on June 12th. And uh, everyone needs to go get it. Nine fantastic songs, a new version of Playing With The Boys, which we hope is in the new Top Gun movie. But if it's not, it still lives uh, yeah, on we'll, vinyl. Yeah, and I'll definitely release it, you know, virtually at some point. Excellent. And we look forward to you getting back on stage and doing shows. I live in Southern California, so hopefully the next time you perform in Southern California, I'll come and say hello in person, hopefully. That would be nice. I would like that, yeah. Um, we're, we're booking dates based on believing that COVID is just about gone at least as a as an ominous presence in our lives a personal question are you are you vaccinated did you get vaccinated i'm halfway there i get another one in a few days all right fantastic i'm fully vaxxed and so uh when we see each other we can bump elbows and it'll all be good yeah right now kenny i always ask my guest i end the show with a play out song what song from your career or from this album would you like me to use as the playout song? Are you, will you play the whole song or just a verse and a chorus? Um, I'll play as much as you want me to play. Um, well, I'd love for you to be the first to play the new Playing With The Boys with Butterfly. All right. Well, then I'm going to get on the PR person to send me uh, that and I will do it. Okay. All right. Kenny, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your music and 
what's next for you? Do you have, do you have any goals? Well, um, I'm working on my memoirs right now. Okay. And we, we write, uh, I'll write on that about four days a week. And then, uh, with, with an assistant, um, writer. And then, um, I'm thinking, uh, there's an animated TV show that I've been a part of the development on. And so I want to write another dozen songs with Lisa Harrington and, and Josh Bartholomew. Excellent. Uh, uh, because I really enjoy writing with them and we have, we have a thing that happens. All right. Thank you again, Kenny. And I, uh, when the book comes out, I would love to have you back on and chat with you again. Sure. That'd be fun. All right. And to the listeners at home, please enjoy playing with the boys featuring Butterfly Boucher. Thank you, Kenny. All right. Thank you. am I doing so far? <laughs> so far, it's great. I got to see you bring groceries in. Yeah. <laughs>